Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. My little friend, mm-hmm. it is the longest and hottest day of the year, and I notice. You are holding a woolly covered hot water bottle <laughs> to your person. What I strange mean, explanation oh, do we have for I this, know. my highly sensitive person friend? It's, it's, it's quite is a it? look, isn't it? I've got it sort of oh, wedged I, in my I top. I want to say ridiculous, to but I feel that might be cruel. <laughs> well, obviously, it's a bit of an old lady ache and pain, isn't it? I've done something to my neck, not sure what. So it's feeling a bit stiff, not painful, a bit stiff. I'm getting some weird pains down my arm, especially into my forearm. So oh my gosh, I... you're not having a heart attack live <laughs> in front of me, are you? Because I can't do anything. I have no, no health reach and safety the training. Zoom to do um, a bit of uh, CPR. Bit of no, don't worry. I Don't worry. It's definitely a sort of muscly, nervy type of a situation. Just working too hard. Too much tappity tap. Is on, it from your laptop. trampolining? <laughs> My my body weight lift, my lifting, my weight lifting, Olympic weight lifting, that's me. And shot putting, we know that by now. Is it your wild sexual antics with that <laughs> young Neil? Well, no, I think, none of I that. think none of the above. No, typing on the laptop, yeah, doing boring. work. Yeah, boring. Right. Hello. Hello. Welcome to Postcards from Midlife. I'm Trish Halpin. And I'm Lorraine Candy, and we're on a mission to help you make the most of your magnificent midlife. We'll be tackling everything from mind and body wellness to HRT and your sex drive. Trish and I are here to help you have a stylish second act and answer all your midlife questions on fashion, beauty, careers, relationships, family, and as always, the challenges and joys of parenting teens. Welcome to the 104th episode of Postcards from Midlife. Now, I know that's not exactly a landmark number, but Lorraine, uh, we missed having a big old shout out about getting to 100 episodes. I mean, what a pair of dingbats. Well, normally in our previous life, Trish, some one of our bank of assistants <laughs> would have spotted reminded that. Us. But as yes. we are a team, a working team of two and a couple of dingbats, we've missed that. And it would have been perfect showing off opportunity for yes. me, wouldn't it? A numbers drop, not a name drop, that would have been, wouldn't it? Mm. Um, well, I think I know why it happened, because this week we've been working on so many new projects, haven't we, that um, it's hard to keep count of all the stuff we're doing. Wow, it is. Exactly. We have been working on lots of things. We teamed up with the travel expert Sordays to host a mini podcast series from them. We've got a spin-off. It's called Detour with Postcards from Midlife. And we've interviewed some fabulous midlife women, as always, including the interior stylist Lisa Dawson, novelist Tasmina Perry, and jewellery designer Claudia Bradby. What about how travel has shaped and inspired their lives? Yes, they were the kind of mini adventure chats, weren't they? Mm. I really enjoyed doing those. And if anyone wants to listen to them, just search Detour with Postcards from Midlife in your podcast app, or you can go to the Saw Days website where you'll find the links to the podcast Detour too. But there's even more excitement in the postcards department, isn't there, Trish? Because we can officially announce... Major, major news. Should be some kind of drum roll (laughs) fireworks behind me that we are going to be hosting a two-day Postcards from Midlife Festival. (laughs) Woohoo! At the Business Design Centre in London next year. Now, we're giving you plenty of notice because tickets will be available and the event is on the 19th and 20th of May. 
I'm beyond excited about this. I've already started to plan my outfits. <laughs> I know it's there's going to be a lot Beyonce dropping an album isn't it yes it's like a Las Vegas residency I think isn't it it's us Britney it's our equivalent of a residency but yes it's UK's very first midlife extravaganza and we want you all to come because they're going to be talks workshops demonstrations shopping fashion beauty delicious food fizzy drinks like champagne cocktails might be some disco dancing, a bit of dancing as well, because we know that everybody wants to have a go at that. So it's going to be great. And um, I think we're all particularly excited because we're going to get to meet you all. I know that's the bit I think I'm looking forward to most, actually, because what's it been, two and a half years now since yes. we started the podcast? And the community around us, both listeners and people on our Facebook group, is just so, so lovely. And it'd be great to meet you all in person because I f- sort of feel I know some of them from all their um, yes. bloopers, their midlife <laughs> bloopers. Did you read about the lady this week who accidentally um, put toothpaste on her toothbrush and then cleaned under her arms yes. instead of... <laughs> Brain fog moment. Yes, we need to meet all you brain fog bloopery people. Yes, yeah, so we're sure. going to be opening up our little black books and we'll be bringing our midlife celebrity friends too. I mean, I've got so many of them. There'll you be have. an army of them coming exactly. in. Um, and you can find out much more information and how to book your tickets if you go to a special event website, postcardsfrommidlifelive.co.uk. But we will be sharing more information on the podcast over the coming weeks and months. And it's a real opportunity for you to all the stuff you're often saying to us where is that how do I get it what are the tools you mentioned a website you mentioned a book we will have all that information there for you because we like to be as useful and practical as possible yes so bring your friends and you'll get to meet loads and loads and loads of amazing midlife women there which is great now a topic that we'll definitely be including at our festival um, is nutrition and ways that we can change our diet in midlife to maximize our health our energy levels as well as manage weight gain and that is in fact what today's episode is all about because our special guest is Tim Spector aka the gut health guru or more officially known by his proper title professor of genetic epidemiology at King's College London. Tim will be joining us later to talk about his latest research on women in perimenopause and menopause which is going to just be so fascinating and really helpful. I am of course looking forward we do talk about it a lot nutrition so I am looking forward to that greatly. We've both been on a journey of personal discovery haven't we actually it's been pretty personal actually um we've been getting intimate with our gut biomes which did involve I'm gonna say it out loud a poo, <laughs> a poo sling <laughs> I want to put a picture of the poo sling poo, yeah the poo the sling internet. oh my god yes poo, a poo sample was required is all, is all we're saying um we had our blood sugar and fat blood fat responses measured that was fascinating um Trish and I signed up to the Zoe program which um Professor Tim our guest created along with some other eminent scientists and nutritionists so we're going to jibber jabber about that before we talk to Tim um and set the scene for you and share what we discovered it's not for the squeamish is it Trish? <laughs> Only maybe the little poo bit. I think the rest of it's all right. We can cope with that. And of course, we have another of your wonderful midlife milestones and magic moments. And of course, nostalgia noodle. Now, you did very well last week, guessing the year, didn't you, Lorraine? I did. I think it's about 4 1 to me now. I'm not keeping score. I'm just living life day by day, happily without being competitive, (laughs) Trish. 
It's time to give your rumbling guts, Lorraine, some more airtime on this podcast. They've had a few outings <laughs> before, haven't they? Well, they call it my Achilles tummy. Um, <laughs> I think it's all stuff. They, who's they? Oh, the bank of medical experts I have on call with Mm -hmm. all my ailments. Anyway, I'm a bit delicate in that department and I have spent some time, because you know about my kefir Mm. obsession, thinking about it. But in all seriousness, um, I'm really intrigued by the gut biome. It weighs three pounds. Did you know that? Yes. The second brain, as they call it, it really is the key to everything, according to all the research. And there's a lot of new research on it. And we're going to find out today exactly what's going on with our insights we are we've been on the zoe program we've been testing it ahead of its launch in uh, autumn this year and we've learned about our gut bacteria and our blood sugar and blood fat responses haven't we trish Yes, we have. So probably worth just explaining a bit more about what Zoe is. So it's a programme launched by a group of health experts, including Professor Tim Spector. And it's kind of in response to the fact that diabetes, heart disease and other chronic health problems are just not improving in the UK. It's just sort of getting worse and worse. And they believe that current approaches to address them, they view weight gain as the problem rather than a symptom of poor metabolic health. And also, we're all treated the same, aren't we? But actually... In reality, our bodies and particularly our gut biomes are very, very different. And we all respond totally differently depending on our combination of gut bacteria. So the Zoe approach is is all about discovering exactly how your body works and then retraining your biology from the inside out. And the key is avoiding dietary inflammation because inflammation, as we know, is very bad, isn't it? Well, it triggers, doesn't it? It triggers responses to things. Mm-hmm. So it's the it's the bit of your body that we are still finding a little bit more about. But any kind of inflammation can trigger a response or an illness or make your body work in a different way. As far as I understand it, from all the yeah, information, I think, books uh, yes, because if your if your body has an unhealthy response to certain types of foods, and some of those foods might actually be healthy foods, yeah. and it creates inflammation. If that keeps going and it becomes chronic, you know the the inflammation builds and builds and builds you are just much more susceptible to a huge range yeah. of diseases and lifestyle sort of illnesses aren't you and particularly in midlife when our the way our body processes everything changes because of our fluctuating hormones because we mm. know that we have hormone receptors in every part of our body from the brain to our gums so um you know that's what the research uh, tim has been doing recently has shown that it's very different for midlife women shall i explain what we did yeah, i think you we should were, it was it was right, bear with there was a lot going on you need to explain it a lot going on so we were sent a huge box which contained a series of muffins completely inedible not very nice muffins which were we were to eat um to measure our blood sugar level and we had a blood sugar monitor which we put into our arm now it has a little tiny needle I mean, I'll put a picture up. You can't feel it when you uh, press it into your arm. You put a plaster over it and you keep it in there and you can keep it in for up to 15 days. So It's what diabetics wear, isn't it, to measure? Yes, it is. Yes, it's measuring your blood sugar. Um, So we were sent that. We were sent a blood testing kit and we were sent a poo sling. (laughs) (laughs) A poo testing kit. poo testing kit. So you download the Zoe app, put all your details in, your kit arrives, and then on day one, you put your blood sugar sensor in, cover it with a plaster, then you download another app so you can measure. This other app measures from your phone. So you hold your phone over the blood sugar sensor and it links to the app and it will tell you where you are on the blood sugar level um, in your body. And you can do that usually every eight hours, they say, don't they? And the the sensor is about the size of a 2P coin. So it's quite small, um, but it's 
just plugged into your arm. So on day one, you put pop that in, download all your apps. Day two, you have to test your poo. Uh, you put a little sling across the top of the toilet. Paper sling. Do your business. <laughs> Paper sling. It catches it. My children were, I mean, I think they've only just stopped laughing. And uh, it catches it. And then you have a pea-sized amount, dear listener, which you put in a test tube and you send off. Now, day three... You eat your muffins. So you don't eat anything overnight. They kind of call that fasting. You eat have to eat three of these muffins. Trish, tell me what those muffins are. Oh taste my goodness. Like. Um, well, they're, they're very clear that they Inedible. do not taste pleasant. They're, they're sort of like sugary sty- uh, polystyrene styrofoam type situation. Quite hard Just to eat three. Actually, really hard to my eat. My little three. tummy. Yeah, didn't like that. No. Nope. What's that? to and fro on that one then you fast for four hours and then you have to eat another two of them which is Mm -hmm. even worse and at that point you are taking your blood sugar levels um every eight hours after that to check the response to eating those very specifically created muffins that you can only get through the program and then after your lunch two hours after your lunch you have to do your blood test and that was a disaster for you Trish wasn't I know. It? because you were it unusually was... all over the place with this weren't you? I was I felt like Lady Macbeth I mean it's a tiny finger prick test but there was blood I'm bleeding to death I everywhere. think you said on the whatsapp <laughs> There was a lot of blood, but you didn't you didn't have a lot. So we're kind of I don't know what no. that says about each of us. No, all I'm no, in control no of all the flow of everything in, in and oh, out okay. of my body. Right. I was I was spurting. I was spurting <laughs> from a tiny thing like prick. some kind of <laughs> bizarre crime scene, wasn't it? Trish? Yeah, it was a bit. But anyway, anyway, it was all fine. We did the tests and we sent did them the off. tests. Yeah. And then you have um day four, you have more muffins for breakfast. So it's it's pretty grim the muffin situation but it's all finished up after three days and then between day five and seven you're logging your blood sugar levels um on the app and you you can't really do any exercise at that point so if you're going to sign up to this don't be doing it in the middle of something that you're training for or something like that you can keep the blood sugar thing in for 15 days or you can remove it but you should between days eight and 14 be logging your diet um at mm-hmm. that point you do also get right at the beginning a half an hour consultation face-to-face zoom to zoom um with a coach um who will talk you through everything the reason you can't do exercise is because um this is you can come on to this actually you do lots of tests to see how eating things in certain combinations and exercising before exercising after because it all affects your your blood sugar and blood fat responses so um so that's why you can't exercise um but then you do on a certain day you have to exercise half an hour afterwards anyway it's it's quite fun there's a lot of experience but it's sort of yeah you've got to kind of be really buy into it and get into it and commit to doing it I would say yeah and what you're eventually aiming for is what they call a food score so on Mm -hmm. the app the food score will be tailored to the results of your poo test and your blood test sugar and fat test so it will then suggest to you a number um, that you need to kind of hit every day to make sure your blood sugar level is good and your fat levels are good and that you're really lowering any kind of inflammation in your body if that's been um, detected. So what, so that's did, what, you, you're what did you find out about yourself with your... Well, talk about our results. Shall we? Go so um, blood fat up in the excellent. Very good. Top, top, 76. Yes. So this is how your... Yes, how quickly my body processes, my metabolism processes fat. So I can high fat things are not a problem for me. Mm -hmm. However, 
very poor on the uh, blood sugar. So uh-huh. 31 was my blood sugar, which means that if I eat something high in, in uh, sh- all sugars, refined sugars, whether or, or, or sugar in fruit or sugar in white, you know, high glycemic, I think they call it, don't they? Um, it ta- my body metabolizes it very quickly. So I have a, a, a crash. So mm. I don't, so you should be, the curve should show you gradually dealing with the sugar in, in your blood, but mine doesn't, it just sort of crashes. Mm. So that, that's genetic. It could mm-hmm. be genetic, it could be lifestyle. It's very common. It's not a kind of thing to flag up. It's just that my body reacts differently, perhaps to sugar. And now you know body. that yes. you can, on the app, it tells you the foods to avoid right. and the foods to use, doesn't it? So that is actually quite helpful for you, isn't it? Because you yes. didn't know that before, did you? Well, I could have a piece of white toast and jam not really advisable i'll feel a bit tired about half an mm. hour after that but if i had an avocado with it uh-huh, because my blood exactly. fat is good yes then i then i would avoid that crash so it, yeah. it, what, what it does i think the app is it shows you combinations of food that would work well for you and it also shows you timings of food when you when you mm-hmm. can eat things the gap between things and when you should be programming your exercise into your diary as well um i think you know it's just knowing it actually makes you really aware of it i mean yeah. i do know that sliced white bread and jam followed by a hobnob is not an ideal breakfast <laughs> i do keep telling you i do keep telling you but will you listen what so were my, your results well uh, my blood Super sugar Trish. and my uh blood fat both fine they were both high so that's good but gut diversity so back to the little poos right yes so I this talked was about quite the interesting well i'll talk tell you about mine because um at first i was a bit like oh I've got a low score for the diversity, which means that I don't, there's about 30 good bugs, isn't there, that you, you or I mean, there might they, even be they've more They've all got them. names. One of them's called Colin. I know. I think this is Zoe. They, they kind of give them yeah. particular names. They've Colin got really and Freya, they're my favourites. Latin names. Um, so you've got the good bugs and the bad bugs. And I have a low variety of good bugs. So I only have something like 15 out of these 30 but I have a huge number of them. So I have a really, really high number of them. So that's actually really good. So I've got lots and lots and lots and lots of um, good bugs in my system. And I also have, there's a very rare special bug. Special bug. It's actually a parasite. It's a parasite. (laughs) It really doesn't sound very pleasing. It's called blastocystis. And very few people have it and I have it and it's got a very good correlation around you have less visceral fat and better metabolism so that's interesting I don't know where you get it so I'm going to ask I think we should ask Dr Tim because that's what I wasn't quite sure about for having your blastocyst I think so we can put it next to my shop put medal can't we that would be quite (laughs) nice Well, what else did the people need to know before well, we... the people need to know, I think, that excess fat in your blood will cause stress on the body. The way yes. your body deals with sugar, the way your blood sugar levels are, will cause stress on the body. And this is all the stuff that leads to inflammation. I mean, the results were quite hefty to wade through, weren't they? One, mm. my, my blood sugar results were 62 pages. <laughs> And the, the gut biome result was 53 pages. So you do have to really kind of concentrate. But the app has had five stars uh, on Trustpilot. So um, it can't be that difficult. Yeah, to... I think that it's it's a fascinating process. And if you're the kind of person that you're good with apps, you're good yeah. with technology, you like interacting on a, on a kind of daily basis, keeping food diaries, keeping track of what you eat, um, this could be a really good way of, of, of managing your diet and your health. So I think yeah. that's interesting. But we can talk more to Tim about it. What are we? you going to do differently then, Trish, oh. as a result of knowing about your 
that's well i'm going to like you um just be much more aware of um because i i interestingly like my sort of standard breakfast of, of muesli and seeds and blah 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 there's obviously too much dried fruit in the muesli that i'm eating because i have this massive spike and then this massive right. drop so i'm like okay i need to get a different muesli going on here because that's not working and like you i never thought about combining the fats with the you know no. the carbohydrates or whatever in that way so i'm just going to be much more aware of that i think it's good as you age as well because i'm sure tim will talk to us about this the way we eat has to change as we age mm. and particularly for women in midlife because there's a lot more going on than we thought was going on and it, it might be part of why we gain weight why we can't lose weight why mm-hmm. we feel extra tired the good thing for me was that I can still have a coffee in the volumes that I have it so yes. black coffee did though, cheer me up only black coffee stop bossing me Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. He's the gut health guru who told us to stop dieting if we wanted to get slimmer and whose best-selling books changed the food shopping habits of millions. It's time to meet the author of Spoon Fed and the Diet Myth, Tim Spector, to talk about his latest research, which shines a light on what women in perimenopause and menopause should know about the food they eat. The Professor of Genetic Epidemiology at King's College London is perhaps best known for his study of twins and how nutrition affects their long-term health, a study which put to rest the idea that genetics may be wholly responsible for our body's response to what we eat. In his latest research, the largest global study of its kind, he uncovers the mysteries behind our midlife diet and reveals exactly how it affects our day-to-day health. Married father of two, Tim, 63, will explain why some of us put on weight as we age and what his team at the Zoe program found out about female metabolism. And we'll be asking him how the microbiome in our gut, which we've often talked about on this podcast, controls our moods and mental health. I think some of this is going to blow your minds, listeners, and perhaps change the way you eat and feed your family. Welcome to Postcards from Midlife, Professor Tim Spector. Hello there, good to be on. Now, you're one of the few men we've had on the podcast, actually. I think we would like to start for our listeners. They're all generally over 40. They're all women in midlife. I think it would be good for you to just briefly describe what we have mentioned it before but what the microbiome is the second brain as it were and why it's important particularly for women 
Well, the microbiome is important for everybody yeah. uh, because we wouldn't survive without it. It's, it's best thought of as a, a community of microbes, small little organisms, in fact, hundreds of trillions of them. 99% of them in our body live in our lower intestine, our colon. They are best considered like a, a new organ we've discovered, a virtual organ in our bodies that act like uh, mini pharmacies, pumping out lots of different chemicals that go around our bloodstream, into our brain, into all the organs in our body, and really control our immune systems as well as manipulating our metabolism and keeping our weight fairly stable, sending out signals of whether we're hungry or full, uh, whether we're sad or happy. And really absolutely vital that we're able to maintain these organisms. And we've all lost many of them in the last 50 years from, from the natural state. And there are just so you know, microbiomes everywhere. And there are microbes in the vagina as well that are really important for childbirth. They have their own stability and an own sort of ecosystem, if you like. They're also on our skin. And we know that particularly uh, at times of big hormonal changes that we now know there are big changes in the gut microbiome. And you, you've just done a survey, is that right? Um, looking into how it's affected during perimenopause and menopause. We all know that sort of obviously the drop in estrogen, it affects us all in so many different ways. What is happening to our metabolism then? What's happening to our gut biome during this life stage? Well, generally, we see a very slow decline in people, you know, from the age of about 40 or so that's, that gets accelerated when you get to about 70 in terms of the num you lose a number of your gut microbes. But what we've seen now is we've got very big numbers from the Zoe studies where we've got tens of thousands of, of women now. We can start to see that there's an acceleration of this loss in diversity, in the, which is the richness of number of species really between uh, sort of 45 and 60, that's uh, much more marked than in men and doesn't occur in uh, women on HRT. So I think that's one of the, the big sort of new findings. There've been very little studies on uh, microbes and the menopause, but mm. uh, we're starting to see this. And, and this is also reflected in changes in metabolism. And it's, it's perimenopause really as well as where you found most of the changes haven't you so we we lose estrogen progesterone testosterone or we fluctuate in those hormones how so the the, bio, the microbiome is controlling as you've said in the past and in your books it, it, how we think how we feel our inflammation triggers but it must be something that if we knew more about as midlife women we would be able to adapt slightly too wouldn't we um because we've basically got to increase that diversity if all these changes are occurring is what you're saying isn't it yes if, if we understood the reasons you can then start to influence you know those causes and and do something to prevent it or to reverse mm. it you know this is all very new science you know we've only literally done this study of, uh, you know yeah. within the last uh, month or so and only just presented the results last week publicly but what's important to realize is that the change in these microbes is very related to the change in how we react to foods we've seen that women who are having normal periods compared to women who are in the perimenopause of the same age, perimenopausal women are eating exactly the same food because that's what we did in these Zoe Predict studies, yeah. give people identical foods at the same time. They're getting like 50% greater sugar spikes and fat spikes, which means right. they're getting more, more inflammation at every mealtime that's building up. This has an effect on your general health about putting on weight 
uh, how you metabolize things. Also, probably low levels of fatigue and other other symptoms that we we know little about. And there's some evidence that you know, there's a link between loss of microbes and, and increase in symptoms. But all these things are sort of co-correlated, so it's hard to pick one out and say this is the exact cause. Uh, you know, we're starting to understand why uh, women's weight changes, for example, so dramatically at this time. It's been put down, oh, well, that's just women slowing down, their metabolism slowing, sort of getting lazier, um, you know, doing less, not having to run after kids, which we now know is not true. And it's due to this really quite marked effect of the hormones affecting not just the human bit of us, but also the microbial bit of us, and that they're responding to that change in the uh, estrogen and the testosterone. Mm -hmm. I think it's going to be reassuring for women to hear, you know, midlife women, we hear from so many who really struggle with weight gain. So it's going to be really useful for them to hear this. But what could they actually do about it? Well, I think the first thing is to realise that it's not just about calories. It's not just about uh, eating too much fat or sugar. It's about trying to eat for your gut microbes, because if you can maintain a high quality diet, then you can do a lot to uh, prevent or reverse this. And we've actually studied this. We looked in our big data sets and found that the sort of top 20% of women on the best quality diets, high in plants and low in processed foods, had the least problems going through the menopause and the least symptoms as well. So, you know, the menopause is just like everything else we're starting to see about reaction to events, whether it's COVID or it's eating a meal we all react differently to it. We're all quite unique. And so there isn't one size fits all. Just like some women sail through the menopause, others have a really difficult time. So we don't want to sort of try and label everyone together. But I think what we're we're definitely seeing is this really strong correlation between the quality of the food you're eating in that perimenopausal period and how easily you get through the menopause or not. And that's probably all coming through the gut microbes. You know, the worst case scenario is someone is going through the menopause, they're a bit overweight, they have a pretty poor diet, low in fiber, low in foods that are going to be helpful to increasing your diversity of your microbes. And so they will get more of these effects, which in fact, make them hungrier and actually more likely to keep doing the same bad habits, because you've got a pro-inflammatory environment in there, everything's driving this inflammation. We now know that actually increases appetite and increases this sort of bad group of microbes that probably we theorize are actually sending chemicals to the brain saying eat more burgers and fried chicken. Yeah, the naughty mm-hmm. bonds, the bad bugs. Mm-hmm. Give yeah. me more cake, please. Yes, that's Hobnobs right. Hobnobs galore. You also found out in the survey, I mean, it's not definitive, and as you say, it's new research, that hormone replacement therapy doesn't prompt weight gain, which is something, you know, we're advocates of hormone replacement therapy where it works for women and where they can take it. Um, and a lot of perimenopausal women are worried that they're going to put on weight or they have put on weight because of HRT, but it, it actually lowers levels of fat. I seem to <laughs> have surmised from the survey. This is cross-sectional data. Yeah. So we haven't followed women up for long periods of time, which you, you would need ideally. But yeah. I'm surprised there's still a debate about this, really. It seemed very odd to me. I mean, yeah. I, you know, 30 years ago, I was I did my thesis on did, the, yeah. the menopause and, and arthritis and HRT then saw no, saw no evidence of weight gain. And in my clinics, I never really saw this as a problem. So I, I, I'm surprised it's still around. Clearly, there might be some women for 
whom it does, you know, again, this coming back to this individuality, the idea that you label everybody or the average as, you know, it, it's a risk factor, I think is nonsense. You know, weight isn't the only thing. If it improves your metabolism and your general health and your energy levels and things, that's absolutely as important anyway. We found absolutely no evidence that there's any harm in taking HRT from this very large but cross-sectional survey. And we're not saying that diet can replace HRT, but certainly we saw a significant effect of diet even when you accounted for HRT. So even if you are on HRT, it doesn't mean you can forget about having a good diet. And what role does sleep play? Because that's a huge issue again for, for perimenopausal women, actually women of small children as well. We know that, you know, it causes stress and has an impact on our bodies. But uh, does it have an impact on how our body responds to things like blood sugar control? For reasons we still don't completely understand, it really is crucial. I've got a glucose monitor on, you know, I'm doing the Zoe study at the moment. For some reason, I, I woke up at five o'clock this morning and I checked my glucose this morning it was terrible you know I hadn't eaten anything and it was already really high and then when I had breakfast went even higher so and that confirms all these other studies that show the you know a bad night's sleep can increase your glucose peaks and therefore your inflammation by about 50 percent and we've we've shown data to show that it also affects your food choices so you get sort of hangry and Mm -hmm. you uh you shun the salads and the healthy foods and, and the, the oily fish and things. You just want carbs and sweet things and uh, all the things you shouldn't have. We've all experienced that to some extent. I don't think we, until recently we've actually quantified it. It's all been rather anecdotal. So the, all these things seem to be connected. So you know, your glucose spikes, your sleep the night before, and your gut microbes are all, are all working together. So your gut microbes need a good night's sleep as well. They don't like it if you, you know, you're waking multiple times in the night with night sweats and things. They like to be left in peace. Just like most animals, they want, a, you know, an ordered bedtime. And that's exactly what's <laughs> happening in our bodies. And mm-hmm. we've also just done a survey. It's sort of related. It's something called social jet lag. I don't know if you've heard of this. Yeah. Or whether you, you guys with, have with, it. Um, teenagers, is it when they have a different routines that affect their whole, they sleep in late, so they get up late and then we have yeah, to the get school, them up at 7am. The day and the weekend. Yeah. You might be party girls, you two, so you're out at weekends, you know, is, um, yeah. at raves and you stay up for <laughs> two hours, you know, so you're going to bed like two hours differently to where you would in the week. And people who do that regularly, we've shown actually have much worse uh, not only glucose signals, but also microbiomes. Timing of sleep, not only the amount, is also important. And so that's another thing about getting some routines is really important. But of course, it's a circular thing here because these are some of the things that are problematic in the menopause. Mm-hmm. I think the other thing that's most concerning for women in perimenopause and, and menopause is anxiety and our mental health. There's a huge level of anxiety um, among women and often two-thirds of them we know are wrongly prescribed antidepressants you've actually found in the past that the biome the microbiome in the gut has a talks to the brain and can can influence i mean you you gave mice anxiety didn't you in one of your experiments can you talk us through because it is so important to midlife women how the gut is affecting our mental health and what we can do about it you know, certainly in mice, you know, depression and anxiety are infectious diseases. You can actually um, make a mouse anxious by giving, you know, a sterile mouse, giving it a poo transplant from a, a mm. mouse that's anxious. You know, that's kind of weird to, idea to, to have in your mind. It, it just reminds us that going back to the idea of the microbiome is, you know, our, our pharmacies 
And if they're being given the wrong foods or the wrong signals from poor sleep and, and hormones, they can pump out the wrong chemicals to the brain and send that brain anxiety signals that are inappropriate because you know there's nothing really to fear and these signals are going out. And there's now human data showing that you can, in randomized trials, if you take a group of people, I think the studies were mainly women, but they include some men as well, anxiety and depression, which often go together as in clinical diagnosis, you can, in a way, cure a third of the people with that just by changing their diet. And right. so that had a bigger effect than antidepressants. In a way, the diet is becoming the prescription that really trumps all these other ones and can mean people stay away from unhelpful drugs for many women like like antidepressants which mm -hmm. can be life-saving but have many side effects for other people and can be ineffective particularly in mild anxiety and depression. Should we talk about food then and, and what to eat that is good for you I and mean, you've actually um, posted a great video of what you eat in a day which I found fascinating is that what a midlife woman should be eating as well could you talk us through maybe what would be a really good day's menu? Is it hobnobs? <laughs> I'll try and bring hobnobs into it for you, Lauren. <laughs> Maybe avocado hobnobs. But yeah. be, I'd be very frightened if uh, all the women listening have follow me and have exactly the same meals as I mm -hmm. do. I think that'd be a bit too spooky because <laughs> I think we do, you know, we want to preach diversity here. Because yeah. I think that the important concept when you're, you're thinking about feeding, for, eating for your gut is really you want to get as many different microbes in your gut as possible. So how do you grow them? And, you know, if you're a gardener, you'd know that you want to put down all kinds of uh, soil that's rich in all kinds of nutrients that's going to encourage lots of different seeds to take off. Diversity of plants is the number one thing that all women need to think about. In my books, based on some of the research we did, that 30 plants a week is about the target to aim at. And it's not as hard as it seems because you can add nuts and seeds and herbs and spices to that. Uh, with my breakfast I cheat and I've already by the time I finish my breakfast I've got about 10 of them done so that's 30 plants remember your different idea of what a plant is the second thing is that when you are picking plants pick ones that are high in defensive chemicals these are these either phytonutrients which just is a fancy name for the same thing many of them are these polyphenols that are these defense chemicals that all plants have to keep themselves alive and free from predators and sunshine and damage and when we eat a plant, we get these polyphenols. We can't use them ourselves, but our microbes can for fuel. That encourages lots of different species to grow. So it's a combination in the plants of the fiber and the polyphenols. And high polyphenol plants are those that are highly brightly colored like berries and lettuces and cabbages that have those red tips on them. For example, purple carrots have more polyphenols than orange carrots that have more polyphenols than white carrots. You know, thinking just more intelligently about which foods you're going to get to try and maximize that. Realize that some strange high polyphenol foods that are healthy for us include things like um, dark chocolate, over 70%. The cocoa bean is basically a plant. And similarly for, for uh, coffee, coffee is actually a health food. Told uh, you, Trish. But can you put milk in it? Because I told her she shouldn't be putting milk in it. <laughs> It diminishes a little bit the benefits and you don't mm -hmm. absorb it all, but just try and cut down the milk slowly. If our little bio microbiome 
our little three pound second brain is like our garden, which we all like to do a bit more in midlife. You also say it needs a bit of a rest sometimes, doesn't it? We should be looking at fasting sometimes because you're not a big fan of having breakfast as soon as you get up, which is a, a lot of a lot of the dietary advice we were given as Gen X women. You've got to have breakfast and you, you like to leave a space. It's really helpful for our little garden to grow, isn't it? Yes. And. You're absolutely right. I mean, the NHS website still says that you should never skip breakfast. This is now proven nonsense. <laughs> so I think, you know, this is why women out there have got to get the information for themselves. They can't trust these yeah. websites that are sort of 20 years out of date. So microbes do like a, a fast. There's lots of research now showing that a minimum of 12 hours overnight is what they like. And also what us human hosts also like. And there's increasing evidence that the sort of sweet spot is probably around 12 to 16 hours where you're not eating. And so your eating window is optimally perhaps around 10 hours. Some people do shorter, but I think it gets more and more extreme, so harder to keep up for most people in their daily lives. But I think for me, 10 hours is quite doable. That would mean, for example, having a breakfast at 11 o'clock and finishing your evening meal by nine o'clock and not eating any snacks, no hobnobs, you know, with the 10 o'clock news and making sure that, you know, you're not dunking anything in your black tea or coffee before that 11 o'clock window. But you can have black tea, black coffee, green teas, you know, herbal teas, pretty much any time because they don't really trigger the breaking of the fast. And this is called restricted time eating and is going to get really huge in this country. It's really big in the US and people are just seeing it's a way of still they can eat healthily. It's not restricting anything. It's just about manipulating the times that you're eating around your own life. And, you know, I've said what works for me, but it may be that some people like to get up early, have a big breakfast and then not eat anything after 4 p.m. Socially, I think I would find that very difficult, but some people, it suits their timings and their lifestyle. So I think everyone needs to find their own slot what work, that works. Because yeah. I find that exactly that, that I have about 14 hours between, say, dinner and breakfast. So I'm just not hungry. I don't need, you know, at least 14 hours. And then it's almost like, I think because we've been doing the Zoe program and I've been very in tune with, you know, what my body's doing and it's it feels like I don't need to eat. I only need to eat every five hours. So I'll have my breakfast and I'm just not hungry. My body's not kind of telling me anything about food, you know, because I, I do have quite a good diverse diet, but, but that works for me. So as long as I'm doing, so what you're saying is as long as we're doing that window, at some point in 24 hours that's okay and no calorie counting no i think we should um, cut out the c word i think it's the worst thing about british nutrition is this obsession with calories and it totally takes the argument away from the quality of food and understanding the structure of food and treating all foods good and bad under the same labels the best thing we can do and that's what the zoe program is is well you know i love most about it is the fact that People change the way they eat. They compose meals together, maybe change how they eat a little bit. But never once do you, you, you choose a meal or a dish based on its calories or lack of calories. It's all about flavor, taste, fun and healthiness. And I think mm. calorie counting doesn't work. So let's just ignore it. Get people understanding food and understanding the quality. What are the good and tasty bits of food that we need to retain? I think that's really important. All of this stuff works if you're enjoying it you're likely to carry on yeah. if you like it there's no point in having something that's horrible or feels restrictive and so Lorraine if you want your hobnob biscuits yes. which you you seem to be obsessed with you know there might be a time that you can have them 
in the context of other foods or rather than having a snacking event that causes a sugar peak on its own, you have it with other foods that might dampen it down. We're not saying you can have a whole packet, but um, the idea is that just by changing the way we eat, uh, how we eat, not just what we eat, is also really important. And I think it all starts to come together into this rather more holistic view of nutrition that we've never thought to question before. We've just said, these are the times everyone has to eat. I'm not hungry when I wake up. You know, I think most people are not hungry, but I do find there are some people who do feel hungry and feel they do need to have a snack every three hours. So we have to respect the all different people. But what we've found is once people have shifted to, say, an approach with a gut-friendly type meals, Zoe-style approach, they do get hunger pangs less. And so they get less of these peaks and dips. Mm-hmm. And so maybe they can probably go longer without mm-hmm. feeling they need a snack, which is a very British thing, by the way. You know, it's interesting. It is like, a British thing, yeah. Uh, mm. It's not like you die if you don't get a snack. Um, mm-hmm. The rest of, <laughs> Europe, rest of Europe would all be dead now if if that was true but they wait for their proper meals like we were told to do as good children which brings me to children so most midlife women are men as well raising families now the thing I feel most guilty about Trish and I have got uh, six between us and the thing I feel most guilty about is trying to get them to eat healthily I mean that's wrapped up in loads of emotional stuff you once put your son on a McDonald's diet for 10 days for experiment didn't you I'm not the if, model father either so yeah, <laughs> if we if we feel that our kids at whatever age they're at we're just not getting the healthy stuff in because they run for the hills if you show them a vegetable it's not too late to change that what little tweaks could we make because I'm so worried about my teenage son's gut microbiome <laughs> I'm worried about how I will change it or help him change it in a, in a kind of subtle way what little things could I do that would help because he is going to eat a packet of hobnobs there's no stopping it obviously giving them the choice of foods on the table um, yeah. I think is really important uh, so there's a, there are a variety of fruits and vegetables available for them to snack on and if you don't buy hobnobs they'll have to buy it themselves that's wise but he does on his way home from school I keep finding the packets everywhere <laughs> Well, you can't stop that. Um, no. But I think it's, you know, inevitable that this is this is a part of life. And I think when we were teenagers, we weren't, <laughs> uh, I wasn't any any better. But, you know, introducing them to, to other, other foods and a range of foods so that they don't reach for the Coke or the Diet Coke or the Fantas. You try and introduce them to, to kombuchas and, and kefirs. And they get- can reverse it then. They can when they're older, because my eldest is much more sensible now. She's 20 and she's she, she done a pretty healthy diet. But it, it won't be ruined in your teenage is what you're saying, isn't it? Um, yeah, I think that's true. Except there's a caveat. I mean, if you t- if he only ate hobnobs and diet coke, there would be a danger that you, like my son, you can lose a lot of the good microbes yeah. that are really hard to get back. But if every now and again you can get some fibre into him, yes, uh, whether by subterfuge or Thank or you. bribery, that's a good thing. It, it's whatever it it takes really. And what about if people listening are thinking, oh, I can just go and buy some probiotics from the health food shop. I can get some bugs that way. Yeah, I think that's a mistake. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, the evidence that if you're un- not unwell, that you can really build your gut microbiome up from purchased probiotics is really not there. Mm. And that's because, you know, we've got hundreds of different species, all of them unique to us, totally unique community of microbes. And you go to a shop and they've got three or four of their particular brands of microbes which are very limited in in range and you're hoping that those ones are going to fit in uh, and as they're passing through your gut and and be beneficial now sometimes they do but most times they probably don't whereas 
if instead of the probiotic you you introduced uh, your family to things like fermented milk kefir, mm. which has at least you know ten to fifteen different microbes in it, and you know they put that on their porridge or cereal or or you put it on their their meals you know thinking it was sour cream or whatever, then uh, they'd be getting those much bigger range of probiotics. So uh, cheese is another one. Many people like cheese. They don't know that it's full of uh, microbes of its good quality. Mm -hmm. And there are this increasing range of these kombuchas as well, which are are tasting really better and better every year. Uh, So they're not the sour ones that they used to be. And, you know, I think kids will also start to get a taste if you if you bring that in early into their diets as well so yeah, yeah I, I think we should move away from the idea that you can replace something in food with a thing in a bottle and that goes with my views on supplements as well if you have a good diet you really don't need anything else unless you're a, a strict vegan possibly well tell us about the zoe program then because there's a waiting list isn't there it's massive at the moment in the uk because you launched in the states and it is has become this huge research tool as well as a way of living and a holistic way of eating can our listeners join up now what's the download on that absolutely so yeah we have a big waiting list over two hundred thousand people waiting for it incredible demand but we are doubling our capacity you know every month Uh, we are going through the people who've been waiting longest to be fair It's really important to sign up and get on that wait list because if it gets bigger, then it will take a while. But we hope to get through it all by the end of the year. There's no financial commitment at the moment. so Mm. And um, it's not prohibitively expensive at all, is it? Not compared to all the equivalents. So Mm -hmm. it would cost five times more if you went to a private doctor Mm -hmm. and tried to get any of those tests. It would cost you thousands of pounds. The basic is £250 and then £45 a month to have a coach online nutrition coach go through your program with you the, the lovely thing is that working with universities around the world everyone signs a research agreement so they're giving their consent so that their data can be used for publications but also it means that everyone the more people do the study the better the data that comes back to everybody if enough people like lorraine join we will be able to work out which microbes eat hobnob biscuits <laughs> wow which, like which ones it kills we're not quite mm. sure you know <laughs> you, you've called one of the microbes colin i noticed in one of the one of the bacteria i'm quite i'm quite excited by them all having names thank you tim for coming on and talking about uh women in menopause and perimenopause because we've been doing this two years it it really people just haven't been talking about how women can change their lifestyle and you know we don't have to medicalize everything and particularly things like menopause and perimenopause these big significant changes can happen just with small changes in what we eat and just being a little bit more mindful of eating those 30 uh, Mm -hmm. more of a diverse diet and will have quite a significant impact I think Um, so thank you for coming and talking to us about it my pleasure Thank you, Trish. The time has arrived for all the M's, our midlife milestones and magic moments in which one of our listeners calls in to share their short story of a midlife epiphany. This is a little bit of inspiration for you all. It's for anyone who may need a nudge to make a change or simply want to hear how other midlife women are making the most of their wonderful second acts. Today, we've got Lucy on the line. Hi postcards from midlife my name is Lucy Patello I'm 48 and I live in Wimbledon and my midlife milestone came last year after I confronted my own mortality 
when I was diagnosed with breast cancer. I felt utterly betrayed by my body, but it did give me a renewed enthusiasm for life. So I decided I was going to embark on qualifying as a Pilates teacher with the ultimate aim of helping other breast cancer sufferers. Now, experts often say that you shouldn't make big decisions in the face of trauma, but I have to say it was that very raw emotion which empowered me to overcome the nagging doubts and just get on and do something that I've always wanted to do. I determined that I better make life count, and instead of worrying about whether my thighs were thin enough to be credible as a fitness instructor, and not to mention how my two newly reconstructed breasts might look in a crop top, I realised that this was all just irrelevant and I could actually use my skills and experiences to make a difference. More than ever, I had seen how important movement was. I think it had really helped me recover quite quickly from my treatment. I started completing a wonderful pink ribbon Pilates rehab programme with APPI Pilates, which is run by the inspirational Elisa and Glenn Withers. And it helped me fall back in love with movement as a medicine for the mind and body. So here I am coming to the end of the first stage of my APPI training. And even although I never did a science A level, I'm back learning anatomy and physiology. I'm practicing my Pilates on friends and family, and I'm rebuilding my own body in the course of it all. And I've already signed up for the next stage and I want to be able to teach the Pink Ribbon course myself because I'm determined that there is no way that the big C is going to stop me from making the most of my midlife. Well, thank you, Lucy, for sharing that. It was so inspiring. Great story. Please, everybody, we'd like to hear more of these magic moments and midlife milestones. So do drop us an email, hello at postcardsfrommidlife.com and tell us what yours is and maybe you could be on the show too. Now we're at the ends, not the M's. Nostalgia noodle. <laughs> it's my turn to ask you. Only week, two. Only two ends. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm going to carry on with our magazine kind of themed one because okay, talk about it's what, what you we know. know. It's That's what, what we know. Say. So in this year, mm. Trish, I joined Elle magazine as editor in chief. Okay, I should know this. Cosmopolitan. I should know this. Yeah. My first cover was Kate Winslet. Right. Gorgeous. Uh, and then throughout the year, I managed to put, not showing off, but it's quite a good list. Madonna, Kylie Minogue, Paris Hilton, Kira Knightley on the cover. But I think that is showing off. I think we'll say that that's <laughs> showing off. Yeah. Okay. I thought I would carry on with the food theme here. This yes. was the year Eats, Shoots and Leaves <gasps> came oh, out. Yes. Plus book, which I'm yes. sure you like. Mm-hmm. And also the year French Women Don't Get Fat came out oh okay do you right. that book it was I about do. having small portions mm-hmm. slivers of things <laughs> <laughs> that's completely against everything what we've been saying yes. in this entire episode so please disregard it don't go out and buy it but, but I can't, it how come it, it was number one how can that know, book it's just actually, insanity yes there was also another diet book out called yeah. good calories bad calories which again is so against any kind of yeah. thinking around food today. yes we don't wonder do we're calories. a bit messed up but this mm. is not this is not i'm not talking 1980s here trish no i'm yeah. thinking you're in the 2000s i am i think you're around i'm gonna say 2001 2002 am i ish, in the fish in the zone it, in the zone in that case three no. my final op- no 
No. It's 2004. Oh. <laughs> I was at Red at the time and we were in the same company, weren't we? We were. Hachette. Hachette Briefly. Um, yes. I forgot to mention You Are What You Eat came out, the Gillian McKeith Pooh-based oh, book. Gosh, she, yes. <laughs> Do you remember that TV show? There was a yes. lot of poo, wasn't there? Yes. Well, we were back there with our slings, weren't we? Last yeah, week, I, I was ago. looking up oh jokes, God. sort of witty dad jokes around who and there are no great ones no. Um, but there is one what do women and toilet paper have in common in their life oh god no no it's no idea. we have to deal with an awful lot of crap <laughs> <laughs> this is very true very Quite, true this is high level podcasting you yes, can't get we, anywhere we end else on, we end on that do on, come and see us live mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yes exactly well that brings us to the end of this week's gut and toilet-based postcards from midlife. New episodes, perhaps not based on these subjects, will be available to listen to every Sunday on your podcast provider. And we would really appreciate it if you can make sure to download these episodes so they count on our listener numbers. And if you could rate and review us too, we would be very grateful. And please tell all your friends about us. We want as many women as possible to join in our midlife conversation, which is what our private Facebook group is all about. So if you're not a member, pop over and join in the chat you just have to answer a couple of questions and we can let you in yes we have lots of competitions on there lots of great chat lots of menopause support hrt support all kinds of support don't we um yeah and you can feedback on the topics we discuss as well as give us suggestions for other things you'd like to hear talked about or celebrities and experts you'd love to hear interviewed or even appear at our new festival next year and you can email us at hello at postcardsfrommidlife.com or pop a little message on Instagram. Goodbye. Bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.